This, I think, is the third time that I've been able to be here with you all, so it's really good to be back. Uh, your pastor, Pastor Matt, is in Marshalltown this morning. He is uh, teaching at Mosaic Church. So that's if you're like, where is Matt? Why is he not here? That's where he's at this morning. So uh, you'll have to ask him how that went next time you see him. But uh, it's good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, why don't you grab it and turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15. Uh, and over the past few weeks, you have been looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians, talking about what it looks like to live at, in the present as people of the future. And so the, the theme that we've heard repeated over and over and over is what it looks like to live in the present as people of the future. So if you're looking at your Bible, you might notice it says, exhortations and blessings. It's likely that that is some kind of, in some form or another, the heading over uh, the section that we're looking at. And that's because as Paul comes to the end of Thessalonians, he just wants to circle back around to what it looks like for us as a community of believers to live with one another. So over the past couple of weeks, he's looked ahead to the future. So you may have covered this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, where Paul says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. He looked ahead to the future of what we're moving towards. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, towards the end of the letter, he's coming back around and he's going to give us some final instructions. He's telling us how we are to live in the present as people of the future. And specifically this morning, what we're going to see is that he shows us how to interact with one another as the body of Christ. It's funny, uh, as I was studying this passage this week, the, the Oregon Trail card game kept coming to mind. Has anybody ever heard of this game before? It's a card game. You can get it at Target. Um, and if anyone's familiar with it, it's kind of like this really random card game based off of a computer game from like the early 2000s, late 90s. That's my era, so that's uh, kind of a thing that I was excited about. But uh, each year, my wife Rachel and I, we like to get each other a lot of games, and this Oregon Trail card game was on her Christmas list. And here's just a couple things about the game. It's, it's relatively cheap. I think it's like 12 bucks. It plays between two and six players. It only takes about 30 minutes to play. So as I begin to explain this, you're like, oh, late 90s, early 2000s, relatively cheap, 30 minutes to play. Sounds like a really, really great game. Wrong. It's terrible. Just listen to this description from Amazon um, about the Oregon Trail card game. It says, all sorts of gruesome deaths await you. Good start. And the rest of your wagon party in it, this official multiplayer card game version of the classic computer game, Oregon Trail. To win, you'll need to keep one player alive all the way from Independence, Missouri to the Willamette Valley. But between rattlesnakes, starvation, dead oxen, broken bones, and even dysentery and a host of other calamities, the odds are long. Almost as long as the Oregon Trail itself. Players work to move along the trail, forging rivers and playing supply cards to overcome calamities. Now, doesn't that just sound like a journey that you want to be a part of? Not even a little, right? Like, even as I explain that, like our blood pressure is going up. You're like, why would anyone do this game? This sounds terrible, right? 
Now you know why I didn't get it for my wife, Rachel. I mean, seriously, we're like trying to cultivate like a, a marriage filled with joy and flourishing, not like high blood pressure and stress, right? So I didn't get it for her, obviously. But here's the thing. If you've ever played the Oregon Trail, and even if you haven't, something that you can notice is that there's kind of two types of people in this game. There's people who have sacrificially given of their resource cards to help us make it along the trail to get to the, the Willamette Valley. And then there's the people who've been bitten by a rattlesnake and have two turns to live. That's kind of the types of people that exist in this game. And the point is this, unless you work together, unless you function as a team, you're going to die from dysentery along the Oregon Trail. That's, that's the point, is, is you have to work together or you're not going to make it to the Willamette Valley. It's not enough to just have big dreams of living out west. You have to have rhythms as a part of your journey that are going to help get you there. Having an amazing hope for the future has to impact the way that we move towards it in the present. If you want to navigate your way to the Oregon Trail or the Oregon Trail successfully, you have to navigate it as a team. You have to navigate it together. Now here's the deal. I know it's a cheesy illustration. I know that. But the same is true for you and the same is true for me that if we're faithfully going to live as people of the future, we have to work together. That it's not enough just to have great dreams of the future and living together in glory someday. It has to impact the way that we live here and now. And so the question that we want to answer this morning is this, how do we live now in light of what will be true then? That's The book of Thessalonians has been working through that over and over, but we want to answer that question today. How do we live now in light of what will be true then? Here's another way that we could state that question. What does it mean for our conduct to match our cause? That we'd say our cause is that we're moving towards eternity, we're living our lives for Jesus, but what does it look like for our conduct here to match the cause that we claim? How do we live in the present as people of the future? And what we see in 1 Thessalonians is this, that if we want to live in light of the future, there's a couple things that have to change. There's a couple of things that need to be true of us. And so we want to look at those things together. The first thing we're going to see is that there are people we need to honor. Next, we're going to see that there's people we need to help. And then we're going to look to Jesus as the perfect example of, of both of those things Pastor Ben Stewart says it this way, there's some people that we need to honor, there's some people that we need to help, and so let's look first at the people that we need to honor. And we see that in verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12, it says this, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, so that's you, that's me, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and then catch this, to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul says that there's this certain group of people, there's a certain kind of person that you and I need to notice or need to recognize. And once you recognize them, once you spotted them in the congregation, you need to regard them highly in love. You need to honor them. So who are these people, he gives us a couple of indicators. He gives us a couple of explanations of what this kind of person is that we should honor and regard highly. The first thing that we see is that it's those who labor or serve among you. Those who labor or serve among you. Notice that the first thing that Paul mentions is not that this person is above you or leading you, even though he's going to get to that in a second. 
the first thing he says is that this person that we should honor and esteem highly is one who labors among us. In other words, a leader who isn't among you isn't over you the way that they ought to be. If they're over you but not among you, they're not leading the way that the Bible has portrayed. The leadership constantly portrayed in the Bible is that of servant leadership. Think of Paul's words in Acts. In Acts chapter 20, he says this, In every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this. That's the same word. And to remember the words of Jesus Christ because he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So we need to honor those who labor among us. Notice, secondly, though, <clears throat> that we should honor those who lead us in the Lord. So some translations say whoever is over you or those who care for you. So I don't know about you, but I think that sometimes it's really easy or hard, depending on how you want to say it, but it's hard to honor those who are kind of in authority over you. We often dislike the idea of honoring those who are in a position of authority. We live in a world, honestly, that tends to be more skeptical towards leadership than trusting. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like most of our news is comprised of skepticism towards people in leadership. That's just kind of the world and the culture that we swim in. And yet Paul writes and is saying that we should honor those who lead us, who care for us, who rule over us. And that's because when leadership is done right, people thrive. When leadership is done poorly, people are hurt and broken. But when leadership is done right, people thrive. Too often leaders use authority to get what they want, but that's exactly the opposite of what biblical leadership uh, is made of. Biblical leadership uses its authority and power for the sake of others in order to serve. And that's why Paul mentions leadership after he mentions laboring. Because Christians pick and recognize leaders based on proven service. That's how Christians identify leaders. <clears throat> so how do you become a leader in God's church? You love and you serve people. Someone once said it this way, that you won't get the honor of people or the love of people until you take on the problems of people. You won't get the honor of people or the love of people until you take on the problems of people. And it's true. Talent without character is, is honestly just tragedy waiting to happen, and leadership without love is bound to fail. And so if you want to lead in God's church, it starts with character. It starts by serving, which is why Jesus said the really famous words in Luke. He said, the kings of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves been called benefactors, but it's not to be so among you. On the contrary, whoever is the greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like one who is serving. And so we're looking at people that we should honor. We should honor those who labor among us, and we're looking at those who, should, who lead well as a servant leader. But then finally, we see that the person we should honor is, is the one who admonishes us or teaches us, that they work hard to show us what is true from Scripture. So <clears throat> this is what it means to lead God's people. There's these kinds of people who you and I are to recognize and to regard highly, the one who labors, the one who leads, but then the one who admonishes. And in most churches today, the ones who most clearly match those descriptions are the pastors and elders, right? In the church, the ones who set pace, who lead from scripture, the ones who give direction, who admonish us. 
the ones who provide direction for the church and care for those who attend. And that's certainly true here at Stonebridge as well. I was kind of creeping on your website a little bit. There's men that God has placed in leadership here at the church who labor and serve and who admonish us through teaching. And Paul is clear that you and I are to honor men like this. And notice what follows. At the end of verse 13, it says this, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Peace comes when churches are led by leaders who love, serve, and live like this. And when church members and attenders recognize that and honor them and love them for it, when those two things happen, there is peace in this place. And it is a beautiful thing that points us to the gospel. But where there's no gratitude, there's no peace. When the church has, when the church has leaders of character, but members don't follow them, there's no peace, right? But when there's gratitude, when there's honor, there's, there's peace. I was, uh, I was listening to a podcast this past week about honoring one another. <clears throat> and the host was Ray Ortland, and he said this, never, I've never met anyone who has, who's been too encouraged in Christ. Excuse me. He went on to say that we're on a starvation diet when it comes to encouragement, when there is a feast awaiting. The church is filled with evidences of God's glory at work. We should become experts at calling people out in experts at honoring one another. Um, When I first started working uh, at Salt Company, one of the first things that I noticed about the specific group of people that I get to work with right now is how well they celebrated and honored people. It was the first thing I noticed. I went to this student leader meeting thing, and, and people, at the end of it, they get up, and, and they, some of them say, hey, here's where I'm going to be going next year. Here's who's coming on staff, all these different things. And some people are getting married. Some people are going off to church plants. Some people are coming on, all these different things. And, but what they do with each person is they take time to honor them. I remember literally sitting at this student leader meeting for like 45 minutes while every student leader went through and just honored like the the D group leader and the the mentor in their life that had like changed and shaped their life over four years. I just remember celebration and honor was the thing that, that stood out to me because I'd never experienced anything like that in my whole life. I'd never seen anything like that before. And even on a personal level, my natural bent is so quick towards cynicism and a critical spirit, not honor and celebration. And so when I show up and I see people honoring and celebrating each other at this leader night, I couldn't stop talking about it. I was like, yo, have you been to one of these things before? Like, they were like telling everyone, like, this is what so-and-so did, and this is what so-and-so did, and you'd never believe the way that Jesus is working in their life, and check out how God worked in their life. And I was like, what is happening? I'd never seen anything like it before. It's like 27 years old, grew up in the church, never seen anything like that in my whole life. Well, I've been on staff now for almost two years, and what's become obvious to me is that that wasn't just like a one-off moment, but it was actually like a culture that a lot of really godly men and women had worked hard to develop over a course of years. Uh, One of my favorite moments on, on staff every year is we go off and we just reflect on the year, and we do this thing called an honor circle, which is so cheesy, but it's like you know, grown men will weep in this thing, I'm telling you. We get together and it's like, you just take time to say like, hey, 
Saul, I see Jesus in you in this way, and here's the ways that you've impacted me in ways that you'll never know in like, you know, HB or Graham or Rachel or whoever. It's like, these are the, the things that I see Jesus doing in your life. And it's like, just, I mean, people will weep. Why? Because, because there's not often that somebody like looks you straight in the eye and says, here's how Jesus is working in your life. And I've sat in about four or five of those moments. And what I can tell you is that I still remember like the exact words that people said to me years later. Like those are things that you just carry with you for such a long time because the power that there is in honoring somebody and calling Christ out in somebody is really, really significant. And so let me just give you like one simple way that you can do that this week. You ready? Here it is. Write a letter to one of your pastors. Pastor Matt, Pastor Josh, they lead you so well, and they do a great job. You could write to one of the elders, Greg, Kevin, Randy, or Tim. Yes, I did have to look that up online, (laughs) but I've met many of them this morning already, which is great, and put names to faces. But write one of them a letter. And just share with them specific ways that you've seen God at work in their life and through their life. Because here's something you may, may or may not know. You probably know this. But pastoring and leading, it can be lonely even when things are going well. And it's not just young people that feel insecure about the way that God's using them. It's not just young people who are like, man, am I doing a good job? It's not just young people who are like, feel like they're dropping the ball. I feel that almost every day. And I'm sure they do too, not to like speak for them. That's not like something they've said to me. I'm just telling you, this is a way that you can encourage them. And so don't underestimate the power that a simple word of encouragement can have. Honor those who have labored well among you. Here's what not to do. Don't in that letter write, hey, so Nick told us that we needed to write you this week. And so here I, like, don't do that. Just like think about it for four seconds and be like, what is the way that you've seen Jesus work in through your pastors and through your elders? So not only should we honor those who labor among us, but there's also those who we should help, right? So that's the second thing that we see. So in verse 14, it says this, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. What Paul is making clear is that there's people who are leading among us, that there's, and then there's people who need our help. I imagine thinking back to the Oregon Trail example, that this group of people, we're on this journey and we're not going to the Willamette Valley. We're going into eternity with Jesus. And on this journey, there are those who are front runners. They're looking and saying, come on, I've been with Jesus. I want you to come with me. Come on. And then there's those of us who maybe at times are falling behind and need help. We've been bit by a rattlesnake. We have two turns to live. You know, it's like, oh man, things are not looking good. Maybe you feel that this week. You're like, Yep, if I had to pick a game analogy to describe my life, I've been bit by a rattlesnake on the way to Willamette Valley, right? And that's just kind of your experience this week. But on that journey, as the body of Christ, we don't have the option of being like, sorry, stinks to be you. Part of being a follower of Jesus is that we help and move towards people who are struggling. And there's three types of people that we should move for move towards the first is this the idol this is the slacker the person who isn't contributing the person who's lazy and we're called to warn that person or admonish them there's the discouraged notice though that we don't 
warn a discouraged person. Instead, we comfort them. You don't warn someone who's afraid. You come alongside of them and you, you try to help them. You breathe courage into them and tell them to keep going. You show them that you believe in them and you comfort them. And then finally, we see the weak. We're told to help the weak. That We're told to come alongside of them to help, it when they, help them when they feel like they can't go on anymore. And with each of these people, we're told to be patient. And the reason we're told to be patient with all is because at some point in life, you're going to be the one helping, and at some point in life, you're going to be the one who needs help. You and I, this week, maybe you're the person who needs to come alongside somebody who's weak, but I promise you there will be days when you're the weak person and you need somebody to encourage you. You may this week need to encourage somebody who's idle, but I promise you there are going to be days where you have blind spots that you don't see, and you need somebody to come along and encourage and admonish you. And so we're patient with everyone. We don't judge people. We move towards them with kindness, remembering that we're broken and that sometimes we need help too. Verse 15, it says this, See too that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another. In other words, everything he's saying, everything Paul's talking about is, is a working out of the golden rule that we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And so there's going to be times when people hurt you in the church. Imagine that, right? There's going to be times where people drive you crazy. Imagine that, but we don't pay them back. There's going to be moments when the people that most frustrate you in your life are those that are literally within the church, and yet we're called to love and pursue their good. And I don't know about you, but that's really hard. It's hard to love people when they're lazy, especially when you feel like you're working really hard. It's hard to be kind towards people that hurt you, and that's why we look to Jesus, who's the perfect example that... When we look to Jesus, we see one who is deserving of all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. He's the perfect example of sacrificial leadership, right? That he didn't think too highly of himself. Instead, he took on the form of a servant and came in the likeness of humanity. And Philippians says that when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't exploit his power. Instead, he used it to serve people. And that service led him all the way to the cross. He said in Matthew, these are Jesus' words, he says, whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He spoke those words and Weeks later, that's exactly what happened. He was the only person to ever live and have complete authority and command. He could have had anyone in his life bow down and do whatever he wanted, and he would have been right to do it. But rather than using that force for his own gain, he willingly gave his life. They nailed him to cross, and they just left him there to die. There's a dark moment in history when Jesus took on the sin of the world so that he could be the savior of the world, so that he could atone for your sins and for mine. He's the perfect example of servant leadership. And we look to him and we follow him. But not only do we see in Jesus the perfect example of sacrificial leadership, but we also see someone who moved towards the idol, the discouraged and the weak. Dane Ortland, who is the son of 
Ray Ortland, I believe, uh, he said this, that the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus sees fallenness in the world and all about him, his deepest impulse and most natural instinct is to move towards sin and suffering, not away from it. So not only is Jesus an example of sacrificial leadership, but he's an example of somebody that moves towards brokenness. When he sees somebody who's weak, when he sees somebody who needs help, when he sees somebody who's idle, he moves towards it. That we don't serve a God who moves away from people who suffer. We actually serve a God who moves towards the broken. He moves towards the weak. He moves towards those who are downcast. And knowing that Jesus has forgiven you and loved you and moved towards you in brokenness, it frees you and it frees me to do the same for other people. Because we don't deserve the the grace that we've received, and yet Jesus came running towards us. And so as we begin to close this morning, I just want to do something maybe a little bit different than... uh, how we typically close. It's not every week that you get to study a passage of scripture that talks about honoring those in leadership. And it's even more uh, uncommon that the person who's a guest speaker gets to do that. And so I want to close today by honoring uh, your lead pastor, Matt. Uh, He's not here this morning, which is kind of a bummer, but that's all right. Uh, and, And let me just even preface this by saying like, There are so many ways and so many evidences of God's grace in this church that me saying, let me honor Matt, is not to diminish what is happening here. He's just the one that I've happened to have the most interaction with. And so your homework this week is to find other ways of God's evidences of grace in this church and to call it out because I've had most interaction with Matt, and so I'm going to honor Matt. So let me just honor your lead pastor here for a second. There's three things that I want to honor Matt for. And the first one is this, is generosity. So there are very few times in my life that I have preached when a lead pastor was there. So last time I was here, Matt was here. Time before that, Matt was there. There's very few times in my life where I've preached when the lead pastor was there. And that's because most pastors love preaching and would rather do it themselves if they can. One of the first things that stood out to me about Matt is the way that he's generous with his leadership. He's willing to create spaces for people to lead. He wants young leaders to grow and is willing to do what he can to help equip them. You don't know this, but every time that I preach, Matt texts feedback and things that I'm growing as a leader. He sends encouragement of, hey, this was so great. That was so helpful. Thank you for loving our people that way. I've personally been blessed by the opportunity to preach here, and I'm so thankful for your generosity to me, but also to him. You've gone out of your way, or he has gone out of his way, excuse me, to help me succeed as a preacher, and I know that that generosity expresses itself in a hundred different ways that I don't see and haven't seen before. That's number one. Number two is fun. So Matt is a fun pastor. So the second time I saw Matt, he was wearing a pink bedazzled hat in the foyer right over here. I don't know if you remember this moment. Apparently, he was honoring an agreement that he made, which just goes to show his character even more that he keeps his word, okay? But in one sense, it's just funny to see Matt wearing a bedazzled hat. It's like, yo, it stinks to be you, you know? It's funny. But after studying this passage, the the words that stood out to me is this laboring among you. 
laboring among you. That Matt's not the kind of pastor who serves from a distance. Uh, and even though I don't attend Stonebridge on every Sunday, it's obvious from the different things that I've seen, the bedazzled hat included, that he is a person who cares for this church deeply and loves you deeply. Um, that he moves towards you and, and he has a heart for you, laboring among you. And so whenever you see that bedazzled hat, you just think laboring among you, because <laughs> that's what it is. And then the, the third thing is this, family. The first time I met Matt for coffee, <clears throat> he began talking to me about Stonebridge, and I don't remember the exact words that he used to describe his vision for the church, but what I do remember is leaving the conversation thinking, Matt doesn't just want to pastor a group of people, Matt wants to pastor a family. I remember thinking those words, I know that his heart is to see this become a place where people are not just coming to church, but who do life together. I know he prays for you for that. I know that he labors towards that, and I know that he loves you all in that way. And as a leader, I'm sure there's a thousand things that he's done behind the scenes that no one knows about because that's how leadership is. And I'm sure there's a thousand things that he does in front of you that I haven't even mentioned that you're thinking of right now because that's how leadership works. And any amount of honor that I give him now is for sure going to fall short. But he is proven to be the kind of leader that Paul talks about in these verses, one who labors among you, one who leads you in the Lord and admonishes you. And my hope this week is that as a church, we would honor him, but also that we would look up and we would look around and we'd say, where is Christ active in this church this week? Where do I see Jesus' grace demonstrated in other people's lives? And how can I call that out in other people? Don't wait. Don't wait till we leave even. Just look somebody in the eye and be like, hey, I see Jesus in you in this way and call it out because we are not, uh, we don't have uh, an abundance of honor and encouragement. We probably have a shortage. We could all use a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more honor in our life. You guys, uh, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for the faithful presence that you are. Uh, I'm so thankful for leaderships who model what we're talking about today. Uh, and I just, I pray that we'd be the kind of church, that you'd be the kind of church that calls that out in people. And when you look ahead and then you turn back and you realize, man, some of us are falling behind, some of us need help, that we would patiently come alongside and help them follow Jesus too. Because we all are going to be that person sometimes. Um, yeah, let's, let's close in prayer. Let's thank the Lord for the work that he's doing here. Uh, and then let's worship together. Lord, you are so kind to us. God, we uh, acknowledge that, um, Lord, that we often don't even look up from our own lives enough to acknowledge the things that you're doing in people's lives around us. Um, yeah, it's so easy to be self-centered. It's so easy to want to be honored and want to be encouraged, but to not do it for other people. And so thank you for... <clears throat> Just a reminder today that there's people in, in this body that need help this morning. There's people in this body that we need to honor, and I pray that you would bring those people to mind, like right now, that as we look to live in the present as people of the future, that we would have an awareness of what, what it looks like to live as a family of believers who love and want to follow you.
and God, this morning, I just, I'm so grateful for the, the pastors and the elders here that have led Stonebridge well. I pray that you would encourage them this morning, that you would fill them with hope, and that you would uh, use this body even as a reminder of why it is that they serve and why they labor among us. We're so grateful for them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.